to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. I think we all know the story so well. I think we all know the account so well that we... We, we will be tempted, we might be tempted to sort of switch off and, and um, not really listen to it and not really hear it and not really understand and, and not really get how profound and how special it is. So I just want to encourage you, um, even if you know this part of biblical history very well, try and just listen to it again and try and hear it afresh as though you're hearing it for the first time um, and, and let it surprise you again. Let it astound you again as you listen to it. Okay. Yes, from, um, I'm going to read from, uh, quite a, uh, a lengthy portion of Scripture from uh, Matthew 1, fr- verse 18, to almost the end of chapter 2. It says, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary uh, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this or thought about it, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her. Um, you know, he didn't consummate the, the marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of Herod, King Herod, Magi or wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, I mean, just that should, should cause you to wonder a bit, you know. Uh, how did they know it was king of the Jews? Um, and how did they know, or, or why, if he's a king, did they come to worship him specifically? Uh, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's, the people's chief priests and uh, the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born in Bethlehem in Judea. They replied, "For this is what the prophet has written." But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi uh, secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and 
Make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had, uh, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they offered their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh, frankincense and myrrh. Having, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country and, uh, by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I, will call, I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After, Herod's, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. Very interesting portion of scripture. And um, at the end of the service, I'm going to show you a, a 10-minute video clip um, of a poem written by uh, Pastor John Piper on, on this portion, which I think is quite beautiful, uh, sort of a story poem, uh, which really um, captures some, some of the beauty of this portion. But I, I just want to focus on, on one piece from verse 18 to verse 25 of chapter 1. And um, it's interesting, this portion starts off and it says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about and in the, in the Greek the, the word Jesus is as close to the beginning of the sentence as you know Greek grammar allows and then it ends with and he gave him the name Jesus and, and you see Jesus' name and his identity is a, is a big you know theme in this portion of scripture and I'm, I'm going to look at that uh, for a little while the first thing I want you to notice is that the two most important covenants the two most important human covenants are represented here in this portion. And, and this is very important, I think, to what Matthew is trying to tell us through this portion. Um, firstly, we have marriage, right? But it's, it's interesting, if you read this, it's a bit strange when you compare it to our understanding of marriage, our modern understanding of marriage. Because it says that, in verse 18, um, it says... His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, uh, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. They were pledged to be married. Now they were betrothed, they were engaged in a certain sense, what we would call engaged. 
But there's something strange going on here because in the next verse it says that Joseph, being a righteous man, uh, had in mind to divorce her quietly. But if they were only engaged, why did they have to divorce her? Okay? But you see, Jewish marriage worked different. When you got betrothed, when you got what we would call engaged, you already made a marriage agreement or covenant. And the only way to get out of it was literally to get divorced. So you were literally, and that's why it also calls them husband and wife in this portion. It says that Matthew refers to, to, to Joseph as her husband and Mary as the wife. So it's as though they were already married, even though they had not yet been, they had not had the, the, the ceremony and they had not consummated the, the marriage. So in other words, Jewish marriage worked slightly differently. And that tells us also why we as the church, the bride of Christ, can be in covenant with him before the consummation of that covenant. That's why before we have the marriage supper of the land at the end of the lamb at the end of the age, we can already be his bride. We can already, as it were, be his wife. We can already be in covenant with him. Um, but the angel says in a, in a dream, and, and notice it's it's interesting. Five times in this portion, God speaks to people through dreams. Five times, okay. And you know what? I th- God still speaks in dreams. God still speaks in dreams. Who of you have recently had, had dreams in which God spoke to you? Just quickly put up your hand. Okay? A few hands going up. I know Wes also, Wesley also had a dream. Where's Wesley? He's there at the back. Also had a dream on the camp that we were at. God still speaks through dreams. Okay? Especially when it comes to important matters. He speaks to us uh, in dreams and he, and he leads us and guides us. Um, but the angel says to Joseph, don't be afraid to take her home as your wife. I was, don't divorce her. You know, take her home as your wife. Because what is happening inside of her is of the Holy Spirit. And it shows us here that this marriage covenant is one of the best definitions that I've heard of covenant is this. Covenant is extended kinship. You know what kinship is? Kin- kinship uh, I mean, we, we talk about your next of kin, right? Which is your closest living relative. So kinship is family bonds, family ties. Okay? So when we say extended kinship, we say, we say that covenant is extending kinship or family ties to people who are not naturally your family. That's what extended kinship is. And that's what happened when a husband and wife come together in marriage. They come together as people who are not naturally or biologically Family, hopefully. <laughs> right? <laughs> they come together and they extend family ties to one another. They extend family ties to one another. That's what covenant is. It's extending family ties to people who are not naturally your family. Okay? And that's what the angel says to, to, to Joseph to do with Mary. Uh, it starts off that portion. It says, um, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. Now, many people, you know, many People, when you ask them, uh, you know about they, they 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 know the name Jesus Christ. You know either as a, you know because they worship him as Jesus Christ or because they use his name as a curse. But but most people actually know the name of Jesus Christ. But but many people, strangely enough, think that Christ is Jesus' surname. Right? Many people think that, as though his mother and father were Mary and Joseph Christ. <laughs> but Christ is not actually his surname; it's his title. Christ is his title. Christ 
is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Messiah or Mashiach, which means the anointed king. The anointed king of Israel. And we see that in chapter 2, verse 2, when the Magi come and ask, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? Okay? And Christmas and the incarnation is all about God giving new leadership to the world. It's all about a king being born. And boy, do we need new leadership. (laughs) I I mean, seriously, if you look around you in South Africa, I mean, I want to be so bold as to say most, if not all of the problems in the world can be traced back to bad leadership. And, And when I say bad leadership, I don't mean weak leadership. Because many of the bad leaders are actually very strong leaders. Okay, Think about someone like Robert Mugabe or Adolf Hitler. Were they good leaders? Well, it depends on how you define good. If you define leadership as influence, they were very influential. They could turn people. They could, Hitler could turn a whole nation. He had a lot of influence. So in that sense, he was a good leader. He was a strong leader. But the problem was he wasn't a good leader in the sense of being a good moral leader. Okay? He, it's like this. I was explaining it like this. Um, If someone is a good assassin, it means they are good at what they do. It doesn't mean that what they do is good. Right? And that's the problem with so much leadership in the world today. Many leaders are good at what they do. They're good at influencing people, but what they do is not good. They influence people in the wrong way and in the wrong direction. And it, it, it leads to terrible things. I mean, um, Hitler and his Nazi party and his book Mein Kampf, which he wrote, led to the Holocaust. More than six million Jews being slaughtered in concentration camps and gas chambers. But do you know that in DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo, you have many more people, at least double that amount of people who have died in the last few decades. You don't hear about it in the news. I mean, there are terrible things happening in our world because of bad leadership. And God says, I see that. I saw it, you know, with... Pharaoh, I saw it with the kings of Israel. Think about um, Saul, King Saul, who slaughtered more than 80 priests. I, I, I see it everywhere. I see it amongst my people, and I see it amongst people who are not my people. I see the problem, and I'm sending the solution. The solution is a new king. The solution is new leadership. But not leadership that will use power to control people but leadership that will actually give up power to change people. Not leadership that will use violence to oppress people, but leadership that will receive violence to liberate people. A new king. That's what Christmas is about. It's about a new king coming into the world to change the world. Um. So that's what the, the title Christ. I, I told you I'm going to focus on the name of Jesus and, and, and his identity, or the names mentioned in this passage. The second name mentioned is, is the name Jesus. It says, You'll give him the name Jesus. 
And, and it's interesting, let me just actually read that in verse 20. Um, but, it, but after he had consulted this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, and, and just by the way, the, the Messiah had to be from the lineage of David. That's why Joseph had to be a son of David, and that's why the angel emphasizes that he's from the lineage of David by calling him Joseph, son of David. But think about this just in the back of your mind for a while. Even if he is the son of David, Jesus wasn't his biological son. So how is that connection made to the lineage of David? Just keep that in the back of your mind. We'll get back to that just now. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your uh, home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to to give him the name Jesus, because... Why are you supposed to give him the name Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. In other words, it says give the name Jesus and then it gives the reason why. And this was common practice in Judaism that you would give a name that was somehow connected to the identity of the child. Think about just the patriarchs. Um, You know, Leah, she had a couple of sons. You know, Reuben. And all kinds of sons, three or four sons, uh, and the last of them was Judah. And, and after each son, and after each name, she says, I will call him this because. And then it gives a reason. And she says, I will call him Judah. And every time with her, the reason was, I will call him ben, uh, Reuben, I will call him this, I will call him that, because now my husband will see me. Now the Lord has opened my womb, now I have favor with my husband. And then with Judah, she says, I will call him Judah because... This time, I'm not going to focus on my husband. This time, I'm going to praise the Lord. And the word Judah literally means praise. Okay? And the, the angel likewise says, call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He will t- say, the word, the name Jesus in the Hebrew, it comes from the Hebrew uh, Yehoshua or Joshua, which literally means Yahweh, which is the covenant name of God in the Old Covenant, Yahweh is salvation. That's literally what the name means. You will call him Yahweh's salvation because he will save people, his people, from their sins. Now, let me just focus on, this, on the sins part because that... Justy, <laughs> you're dancing. <laughs> Why don't you go and stand at the back with Mama and then you can dance all you like. <laughs> he will save his people from their sins. Now, let me just focus on that part. Um, Here it says that the problem is not just bad leadership. It's not just sinful leaders. It's sin, period. It's everyone, even God's people, who have sin. That's the problem. The problem is, I mean, the the Bible is both the most pessimistic and the most optimistic book in the world. It's, it's so pessimistic. I mean, the worst philosophers, Nietzsche, Freud, none of those guys were as pessimistic as the Bible. Because they used to say, yeah, you know, everyone's, you know, biased. Everyone's, you know, there's this problem, you know, with everyone. But they, did, they never included themselves in the everyone. <laughs> they never included themselves. But the Bible includes everyone. There's a problem with everyone. G.K. Chesterton the famous, famous British writer, Christian writer, um, 
He responded to an article in which they said, what is, what is wrong with the world? This was the article in one of the newspapers. I can't remember which newspaper it was. It was in London. And he wrote back in a letter. Now, he's this famous Christian author. Um, he wrote back, I am yours sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. <laughs> what's wrong with the world? I am. We are. That's what's wrong with the world. It's not just our leadership. It's us. It's all of us. We're what's wrong with the world. And if you doubt that, just think of any law. Think of a law that you agree with. You know, maybe you don't agree with all the laws in the Bible. Maybe you're still someone who's not a Christian. You're still deciding whether you want to become a Christian. That's great. But, but even if you don't agree with all the laws, there will be some of the laws you, that you agree with, even if you're not a Christian, right? So think of, so let's say, the, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat others as you would like them to treat you. I mean, that's just common sense. And almost everyone I know will say, yes, of course, you know, that makes sense. Surely you should do that. Well, do we? (laughs) Do we? Think about it carefully and you'll realize that even the laws you agree with, number one, you don't do them. You don't do them. There are many times when you don't treat others as you would like them to treat you, as you would like to be treated. You don't, we don't do them. Secondly, we'll realize that we don't want to do them. We don't want to do them. We don't want to always treat others as we'd like them to treat us because sometimes it takes sacrifice. Sometimes, I mean, when, some, when, when we've slighted someone, when we've offended someone, when we've hurt someone, we want them to forgive us. But when they hurt us, (laughs) we want them to grovel for a while, at least, you know, before we forgive them. The reality is not only don't we obey those laws, even the laws we agree with, we don't always want to obey the laws. Thirdly, when we really think about it honestly, we we realize we can't obey them. (laughs) We can't. Our hearts lead us astray. Our hearts are selfish. We can look at the selfish leaders like Hitler and condemn them, but when we look inside, we find the very same problem in us, the very same problem of sin. That's not only what we do, it has tainted who we are and what we want and how we think. In one of the Spider-Man movies, I think it was the third one, um, it, uh, they had this saying, how do you fight the darkness when the darkness is within how do you fight the darkness? It's, it's, it's easy to fight the enemy on the outside, you know, some other nemesis, you know, on the outside. But how do you fight an enemy that is within? The reality is, not only don't we do it, not only do we not want to do it, we cannot do it because of sin. That lives inside of us. Then, we'll also realize that there's only one who did do it. <laughs> and that's the one that we're reading about now, Jesus. And only through what he did can we also now do it. Can he enable us? Can he save us? You'll call his name Jesus because he will save. So, in other words, what I'm trying to say is sin is not just something you commit, sin is something that you're captive to, and you need someone to deliver you or free you from it. And that's what he came to do. You'll call his name Jesus because he will save. His people 
from their sins. At another place, Jesus says, whoever sins is a, whoever keeps sinning is a captive, a slave to sin. And we have destructive habits of sin in our life that we are captive to. And we need someone else to come and free us of it. And, Je- and what, what Matthew is saying is Jesus is that someone. He is Jehovah who is salvation. And then he goes on and he tells us why he is. It, it says um, in verse 22, and he took, the, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. They'll call him Emmanuel. And that's from Isaiah 7 verse 14 for those of you who want to go and look up the Old Testament reference. And, and the problem here is I mean, if you think about the history of Israel, even when they come out, I mean, when they came out of Egypt, God sent Moses. God met Moses at the burning bush. He said, take off your shoes for the place where you are is holy ground. He took off his shoes and God revealed himself in, in Exodus 3 as, as Yahweh. And he said, I've heard the cry of my people. Now go and deliver them and bring them out that they may come and worship me. And he brought them to that same mountain. But when he came back, it wasn't just a bush that was on fire. The whole mountain was on fire. Because God was there. But what did God say to Moses? You come up onto the mountain, but don't let anyone else come up with you. Don't let them even so much as touch the mountain or they will die. In fact, build a barrier, build a, build a, a hedge around the mountain so that the people cannot come close to me and die. Why? Because he's... He says, I'm a holy God. And this is a sinful people. I love them. Imagine this. A father who loves his, his, his children so much, he wants to be with them, but he's so holy that his presence with them will kill them. How do you deal with that? Well, the, the intermediate solution was a tabernacle. Build a tabernacle with all kinds of veils and layers, and you sort of slowly had to enter, you know, you know, portion by portion, with lots of sacrifices and cleansing and sanctification. And, and, and the, the whole thing about all the, these veils and all these levels of entry was, how do, you enter in, how do sinful people enter into the presence of a holy God without dying? That's what it was all about. That was, it was what it was all about. And if you think about Moses, even Moses, when he said, Lord, show me your glory, God said, no, I'm sorry, I can't. You will die. But stand here in the crack of this rock. I'll close you with my hand and I'll pass by and then you can see the afterglow of my glory. What do you think the rock represents? You think carefully. But now in Jesus we can actually see God. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. Think about it in this way. If, if you had to look at the sun, the sun would be too much for it to handle. If you stare at the sun long enough, you'll go blind. Literally, your retina will burn up and you'll go blind and Jesus is as it were so you need a filter something to filter the glory or the light of the sun in order to be able to look at it and Jesus put on flesh God put on humanity and that humanity was the filter through which we can now safely see God and through which God can safely dwell with us and among us without killing us he's God with us is God who came to be with us. And, and, and that makes sense. And I mean, that's unique in all the world religions. There's no other world religion in which the God came to be man, to actually live amongst us and die amongst us. All the other religions, gods are aloof, and you have to try and get to them. 
Christianity is not a religion in the modern sense of the word because it's not us trying to get to God, but it's God coming to us. It's God coming to us. It's completely the other way around. God takes the initiative and he comes to us. He's God with us. And that's why he's the only one who has fulfilled every law. It's because he's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's human perfection. And the only human perfection. I always think of it in this way. Um, there's this story, I'm sure probably all of you have heard it, of this farmer um, and, you know, this big hailstorm came and there was this flock of wild geese flying around and they were caught by this hailstorm and these, the, 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 you know, the, the hail was hitting them and they were sort of floundering. Um, and then he, you know, they landed and they were looking for shelter, couldn't find So he ran out and tried to usher them into the barn. He opened up the barn doors and tried to usher them in, but they were scared of him as a human being. So they flew away. So then he ran into the barn and he chased out, chased out his geese, you know, the domesticated geese. And they sort of flew out into the storm, experienced the hail and said, no, we don't want to be out here, and turned back towards the barn. And as they turned back, the wild geese started following them into the barn and into safety. And that's what God does with us. Now, if, if he would come in his normal, glorious, natural form, we would be as scared as him as those geese were of, of the farmer. And we wouldn't be able to follow him. But, but then he comes to us in a form that we can relate to. He becomes one of us. And he leads us to safety. God with us. Emmanuel. Now, you know, what, what's so beautiful to me is, I mean, if you think of the suffering in the world, it's really quite terrible. And the, the Bible's very, very frank about the condition of the world. I mean, when, when we, we were close to Durban in Winkelspreit, when we drove back, we drove back, we drove past probably at least three accidents. You know, one where a car had rolled, a terrible one where a truck had collided head-on-head with a car. And, you know, the, the parents and two children were, were killed. And, and, and the truck and the car caught fire. And, and, and it burnt up. Terrible. Terrible things. Well, while we were on the camp, we were, we were praying for a family who had been in a collision. Um, the father, I think, was fine. The, the, the mother was in a coma. She had a leg amputated. Two of her children died. I mean, she was going to come out of the coma if she survived and hear that two of, her ch- two of her five children were dead. Another one was critical in hospital. I mean, I mean that, that's just in terms of traffic, for crying out loud. You know? Terrible things happening in this world. Terrible suffering happening in this world. How can you believe in a God that would be aloof to that suffering? That would be immune to that suffering? And the and, and the incarnation of Jesus Christ and his life and his death on the cross show us that he is the God who's not, who does not make himself immune to the suffering of the world, but he enters into it. He enters into our suffering. And he saves us not only from our suffering, but through our suffering. He saves us. It would be impossible to believe in a God without the cross. That's what I'm trying to say. But because of the cross, that God that is revealed in the cross is a God that you can believe in. 
because he doesn't make himself aloof or immune to the suffering of the world. He enters into it. He's a compassionate, loving God. Then just notice it says, he will save his people from their sins. Who does he save? Not everyone. Not everyone's automatically saved because Jesus, as the Savior, comes into the world. He saves his people. So how? the question is, how do you become one of these people? And the last portion of, of, of this tells us, it says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until he gave birth to until she gave birth to a son. And then it says, and he gave him, he, Joseph, gave him, Jesus, the name Jesus. What, what, why, why Matthew is emphasizing that Joseph gave the name was the father on the eighth day circumcised the son and named him. In other words, Matthew is emphasizing that Joseph adopted Jesus into his family. And that's it. Remember I said you the two most important human covenants I mentioned? The first one was marriage. The second one is adoption. Extending kinship. Extending family ties to those who are not biologically his family. Jesus was not biologically Joseph's son. But by adopting him, Joseph was extending kinship. He was making a covenant and extending kinship to Jesus and making him part of his family. And that's why through Joseph he is the son of David. By adoption. And that tells us, that gives us a hint to how we can be his people. Even though I'm a South African, I'm not a Jew like Jesus. I'm a South African. I'm not from one of the tribes of Israel. I'm from French Huguenot and Dutch and Scottish descent. Those are the the lines, you know, which I come through. So I'm not naturally, biologically one of his people. So how can I be one of his people without being biologically related to him? Same way Jesus was the son of Joseph without being biologically related to him. Through adoption. Through, in other words, Joseph did something that is a picture of what God the Father does for us. God the Father adopts us. He extends family ties, kinship to us, even though we're not naturally related to him. And that's what needs to happen. If you want to know him as the Christ, the anointed king who will rule your life for good, you need to be adopted. If you want to know him as Jesus, the one, Jehovah, who is salvation, who saves his people from their sins, you need to be adopted into his family. If you want to know him as Emmanuel, God with us, you need to be adopted into his family. And that idea of God with us is very important. It's here at the beginning of of Matthew's Gospel and then at the very end, what does it say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. Even to the end of the age. It's not just Jesus' birth that causes him to be with us. His pouring out of the Holy Spirit causes him to remain with us indefinitely. The ascension was not the end of him being with us. But we can only experience all of that. We can only experience him as Jesus, as Christ, and as Emmanuel if we've experienced adoption like he did. Just like he did. Here's the thing. Jesus was adopted into a human family so that we can be adopted into a divine family. 
Can you see the beauty of that? The Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men can become the sons of God. That's the beauty of the incarnation. That's the power of it. That is the gospel. That is the good news. And just in closing, and uh, um, Shana, you, you guys are ready with the video. We're going to watch that quick uh, video just now. But just in closing, the reason Jesus lived a sinful life, a sinless life, sorry. Jesus was the one who didn't live a sinful life. The reason Jesus lived a sinless life is because he knew you couldn't. He knew you couldn't. That's why he lived it on your behalf. Christianity is the only religion in which you come to God not with your CV, but with someone else's CV. Not with your achievements, but with someone else's achievement. Not with your accomplishments, but with someone else's accomplishments on your behalf. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And if we repent and come to him by faith, we can be adopted into into his family and become part of his family, experience him as Jesus, the Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. Father God, we just want to thank you, Lord, that we can know you in this way. That, Lord, you didn't remain aloof and far off, but that you came right here to be with us, to be among us, to reveal yourself to us. So we can touch you and feel you and get to know you in a way that we can relate to. Thank you that you came to save us from our sins. And Lord, we we pray, Lord, that we'll experience your salvation every day as we experience you as the one who is with us every day. In Jesus' name.